Last week in our study, we declared that the world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. Its only hope is Jesus. Let me tell you, as we, as we declare that last week, and as we walk through the events of this week, it seems uh, to be clearer and clearer every single week. The world, its hope, its answer is going to be found in Jesus Christ alone. Well, because the world needs Jesus, we saw last week that the world needs the church. If the world truly does need Jesus, and we, we know that it does, we see that the world needs the church. Now, I want you to think about that as we, as we start back this morning. Today, if not the church, who do you think will guard, who will protect, who will defend, and who will proclaim the word of God, the message of our Savior, Jesus Christ? If not the church, who is going to protect, who is going to uphold the word of God? Now, I want you to be very sure this morning, it will not be the world. Sometimes we think, well, the world is neutral, the world might help us along. It will not be the world. The world is actually opposed in opposition to the word of God. Now, understand as well, it will not be our universities. Do you know many of our universities started as seminaries or training grounds for pastors, Harvard, Yale, many others as well. Uh, the University of Texas was always pagan, but many others started as seminaries. Well, look around today. They have left that. They have fled away from that, and they're actually in the business of belittling the Word of God. Now, I think about how crazy that is. We send our kids and we pay small fortunes to places that will actually endeavor to tear apart the very Word of God. Of God. And so understand it will not be the universities. We know today it will not be the government. There's some folks that are placing great hope in the government. Look around. Our government operates mainly in disregard of the word of God of God. And so understand, if it's not for the church, who will defend the word of God? Let me tell you the answer is this. Nobody. Nobody. If it's not for the church, nobody, no one will defend, uphold, proclaim the truth of our Savior, Jesus. Listen today, the, the truth is this. The world needs Jesus. The world needs the truth of Jesus. And so the, the flow of that is the world needs the church today. In our study, we're going through Acts. We're seeing the, the formation, the history of the church in our study, I hope that we are seeing not just the need for the church, but I hope that we are seeing how marvelous is God's plan, God's creation of the church. And that's something that strikes me every week as we move through our study. What a marvelous thing, what a marvelous creation is the church. Friends, understand today, the church is an awesome thing. It's not some add-on thing. It's not some piece of something else. The church is an awesome thing. It is created by God. It is empowered by God. It is led by God. It is commissioned by God, and it is used for the glory of God. Can you imagine that? The church is an awesome thing. There's no other thing like the church. Well, today we're going to see that again in our study. Today we're going to end the 12th chapter, 
And we're going to start the 13th chapter. We're going to look at, again, the development of the church, a pretty interesting time in the church. And today our goal is to be instructed, to be taught, to be encouraged in our effort. Today our message is entitled, God's Marvelous Church. God's Marvelous Church. We're in Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 12, verse 25 through chapter 13, verse 2. Now, I'd love to go uh, to some other verses follow down. We'll get there very shortly. But today, Acts chapter 12, verse 25, through chapter 13, verse 2. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 25, it says this, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Chapter 13. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnas, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and we're thankful today. We come thankful for a Savior, thankful for peace, thankful for hope today. Lord, I, we come and we're thankful for the Word of God that tells us of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, most of all, we're thankful for our Savior, our Lord, our King, King Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would honor you and honor him. I pray that we would exalt you and we would exalt him. And I pray that in the teaching of your word today that we would grow closer to you, that we would grow closer to your plan for us as the church. And I pray the fruit of that would not be just a lecture, not just the passing on of information but we would stand in a day when the world needs Jesus and we would be a faithful church that would proclaim the hope of Jesus. Lord, I pray for some maybe in this room that do not know you. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel in the preaching of your word that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that in all that will go on today that you would be known and that you'd be glorified. We love you, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you, we exalt you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as we finished last week, we saw what is constant in the New Testament church, and that is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw what doesn't change. In fact, what cannot change, come what may, is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now notice backing up one verse to verse 24, it says, but the word of the Lord, this is the message of Christ, the message of Jesus, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Now I wanna say this again as we start back today. Our mission in the church is to proclaim Jesus. Now there's a lot of distortion to that, there's a lot of things added to that. We can be very certain our mandate in the church, the New Testament church, 
is to proclaim Jesus. And all that we do should be for that end. All that we undertake, all that we pick up should be for that end. The mission of the church, the mandate of the church is to proclaim Jesus. Let me be honest with you this morning. Today, people do not like that. Can't we do these things? Can't we have these things for our kids and for our families? Aren't there some other things that we could do that we would enjoy or some, some missions that we could take up that would have others think highly of us? People today do not like the truth that the mission of the church is the proclamation of Jesus. Oh, it's okay if it's a piece of what we do. It's okay if it is a group over here in the church that will do that. But I want to tell you today, it is not popular to say what we do in the church is proclaim Jesus. Yet the Bible says it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. And the Bible clearly leads us, we in the church are in the business of proclaiming Jesus. So we end last week, what is constant in the church? Verse 24, it is the proclamation of the word of the Lord. All right, that is consistent in the New Testament church. Let's begin in verse 25 today. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who is also called Mark. Now, here's the deal. In, in, in verse 25, closing out the 12th chapter, Barnabas and Saul have gone to Jerusalem. Remember, they, they took an offering there in Antioch, some other places. They took up some relief for the drought, the things that were going on in Jerusalem. And so they have journeyed to Jerusalem to deliver that offering, to take that relief. Well, now they are coming back. They are returning to Antioch. It says that one called John, also called Mark, a man who was the cousin of Barnabas, he is now with them. And so they have taken the offering to Jerusalem, given it to the church leaders there, and they are now making their way back. And John Mark, John also called Mark, is with them. Now, I want you to be sure and see something here. The church starts in Jerusalem. Remember in Acts chapter 1, the movement there in the upper room, the church starts in Jerusalem. The gospel has spread, uh, mostly due to persecution of the church. The gospel is pushed out, and now the movement of Christ, uh, the, the operating platform of the church is now found, we're going to see in the rest of the book, coming out of Antioch. Now, I want to say this, uh, mainly because I like this, uh, and it's something I think we need to see. Notice here, the church is not tied to a city, but rather it's tied to the gospel. It is not tied to a city, but it's tied to the gospel. The church is not tied to Jerusalem. If you want to go to the, to, the, to the center of the church, you go to Jerusalem. The church is not founded and is stationed in Rome or the Vatican or any other place. The church is not tied to a place. It is tied to the gospel. Now, I like that. That's something extra for you this morning. All right, moving to chapter 13. 
Now, there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now, remember, as we, as we look at starting in chapter 13, the word here for church, ecclesia, it is now identified with believers. It is the word that's used for followers of Jesus Christ. It is the collective name given to followers of Jesus Christ. That word ecclesia, it actually means the gathering or the assembly. Uh, it most literally means the togetherness of believers. And so it is talking about the group of believers, the assembly, the congregant, the, the, the togetherness of believers. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 2, and then we're going to work through both of these verses together. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now verse 2. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now there's, there's big stuff here, big stuff in these, these two verses. Now there's some great stuff coming up uh, just ahead, but there's some very important stuff in just these first two verses of chapter 13. Now in our study this morning, we're going to stop there, and I'm going to pull out three topics or three issues to digest or th three truths for us to consider here in these first two verses. All right, the first thing we're going to see today is the matter of the church, the matter of the church, really the subject matter of the church. Now, notice here the Bible says in the church, in the, the collective name for believers, in the church in Antioch, it says there are prophets and teachers. Prophets and teachers. Now, it gives us a, name, a listing of their five names. Now, this is important. I want us to see this. First, prophet. In the church in Antioch, there are prophets. In the apostolic church, in the time when the apostles were still alive, now I want to talk about that in a second, but that time has ended. But in the apostolic church, there were prophets. Now, a prophet is a person enabled by God to speak the message from God. They spoke the word of God. They proclaimed, it actually means they preached the word of God. Of God. So in the, in the church there in Antioch, in this apostolic time, there are prophets who, in the enabling, the gifting of God, speak the message of God. They preach the word of God. Now understand, there was no New Testament at this time. They didn't have the New Testament to open there in the church in Antioch. It was being written, it was actually unfolding at this time through the apostles. And so these are preachers of the word of God that delivered, who delivered his message. And so there in the church, there are prophets. Those who have been enabled by God to speak the message from God, 
there to the church. Now, it says not only that, it says and teachers, and teachers. Now, it seems uh, the same, but it's actually different. These people are enabled by God. They are supernaturally gifted by God to give understanding. They are able to supernaturally enlighten the message from God. And so you've got preachers speaking the word of God, and then you've got teachers who are able to give understanding to that message. They are literally teachers explaining, giving understanding to the word of God. And so see this. In the church there in Antioch, there were preachers and teachers of the message from God. And so I want you to see this this morning. The matter of the church, the subject matter of the church was and is the word of God. Now that's a huge thing. That's a, that's a huge thing for us to understand what was going on then. That's a big thing for us to understand now. The, the subject matter in the church, there when they get to Antioch, it is the word of God. I want you to understand this. Paul didn't go and say the things that were important to him. He didn't say, you know what, I've done these things and I've walked these roads and I've got a pretty good example for you. He doesn't go and proclaim the things that are important to him. Barnabas doesn't teach the valuable life lessons that he learned. He doesn't say, you know what, I've done this and I've learned to be an encourager and you ought to do the same. He doesn't teach valuable life lessons that he has learned. No, the subject matter in the church was the word of God. Today, I want us to be very sure, and man, living in the day that we're living in, it's imperative. Our subject matter today is still the word of God. Now, I want you to follow with me here. At the end of the apostolic era, with the death of the last apostle, and with the completion, the assembly of our Bible, this office in this manner of prophet ceased in the church. Today, it has ceased in the church. Now, what that means is we do not have people speaking a message from God that's outside of the Word of God. Today, we have the Word of God, our Bibles. Understand, we're not seeking a new message today from a new prophet today, but instead we have the word of God, our Bible. And so listen, God still has preachers and he still supernaturally enables and gives preachers, but their message is the word of God, our Bible. Now this is so important. This is so important right now. Understand. You're sitting here and you're hearing that, and I, I already know what some folks will say, and I know what some folks outside of our church will say. Well, they'll say, well, well, does God still speak? Does he still speak to us? Does he speak in our day? Is this just some ancient word? Does he still speak in our day? Does he speak in a relative sense to our situation? Does he still speak in our situation? Listen, the answer to those questions is yes. Are preachers still proclaiming his word? The answer is yes, as long as their message is the word of God, the Bible. We have to settle that. 
We have to be sure of that. I want to tell you, Satan's working overtime in this area. Today, I'll just tell you, you look around, many are the people and many are the churches and sadly, many are the preachers who are abandoning the word of God for some sort of new word, for some sort of fresh word, for some sort of updated word. You know what, that word doesn't apply today and that word doesn't match today and that word's not acceptable today and so many are the preachers who are out scrambling around looking for a new word and I wanna tell you what the result of that is. They've ended up with a false word. The message of the church, the message that we preach and teach is the word of God, our Bibles. Watch out, watch out. The matter of the church is the word of God. For us, the Bible. Now, I read that, and man, I'll just tell you, I wanna preach a sermon right there. I wanna preach a sermon right there. You know why? Because the word of God tells us about Jesus. You know why? The word of God tells us about the hope that we have settled in Jesus. And if you start to mess that up, you start to distort that and you start to change that. I want to tell you, we should, we should camp everything on the very word of God, our Bible. I'd like to preach a sermon right there. I almost am. So that's the first thing, the matter of the church. The second thing we see in these two verses, the minister of the church the minister of the church. These preachers, these teachers, now it names five of them here. Barnabas, he was the encourager. Uh, we read of him, he's, he's a faithful and devout follower of Christ. Uh, we've met him before in our account. Uh, he was sent from the church in Jerusalem to check out what's going on there in Antioch. We hear there's a movement of God. We hear folks are getting saved. And so they say, you know what, we'll send Barnabas, he'll check it out. And so we've met Barnabas before. Simeon, also called Niger. That word Niger means, translates, black. And so it, it probably was because his skin was dark. It could have been because he was from Africa. I think both of those are probably true. He is from Africa, he has dark skin. And so Simeon, also Niger, it says Lucius of Cyrene. Now that's in North Africa, so he's actually from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene. And then it says Manan brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now this is interesting. I want to point this out. Brought up with actually means, go back to the original language, he grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod Agrippa, the son of Herod the Great. Now what this means, listen very carefully. He was evidently a half-brother or a step-brother or a foster brother of Herod Agrippa. He is, he is evidently raised somehow in the house of Herod the Great. And so I want you to understand Herod that killed James. Remember we started the 12th chapter? Herod kills James. Herod who imprisoned Peter, Herod who wanted to kill Peter, this man, he grew up with him in the same house. I'm guessing family reunions were off for them. And then it lists the last one, and Saul, the man that we know is God's chosen vessel. Now, I wanna point out uh, right here with just these men, Now this isn't the main point, but I wanna point this out. 
as we read through that listing of men, as we pull them out of our context, I want to make this point. Evidently, we see in just the listing, the naming of these men, evidently their background did not matter. Evidently, their education did not matter. Evidently, their skin color did not matter. Evidently, their past sins did not matter. Evidently, their nationality did not matter. And we find here in the church in Antioch that the church was the church. We see here in the church in Antioch, there is a beautiful mix. There is a necessary mix. And differences did not matter. God forgive us when they do matter. I could have a whole sermon right here as well. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you a couple things. Do you know the New Testament model for the church? By the time we get very clearly here to Acts chapter 13, the New Testament model of the church is not this group and not that group. It's not that color that meets in that part of the town and this color that meets in a different part of the town. It's not this preference that we like these things and they like something else. It's not a different livelihood. This is how we make a living and this is why we go to church with those folks. The church meant the church and it didn't matter their background. It didn't matter their education. It didn't matter their past sins. It didn't matter their skin color. The church was the church. So these five are listed. They are God's ministers in the church there in Antioch. Now I want to point out some things here. The word, and this is pretty awesome, the word minister is a Greek word that meant to discharge a public duty, to minister. I mean, we we kind of have a different idea of that, but it just it meant to carry out a public duty. Now, it was mostly used in a political sense. And so there, they would have the minister of finance or the minister of taxes, and he would oversee that portion of the government, that portion of the community overseeing the finances, overseeing the collection of taxes. Or they would have the minister of streets or the, the minister of public works, and they would oversee the public works that are going on in the community. It is one that carried out a public duty. Well, in the New Testament, they take that word, and we'll start to see that word used And in the New Testament, it becomes not just a public office carried out. In the New Testament, when Christians grab this word and they begin to use this word, it becomes a pastoral office carried out. And so it is a duty carried out. It had been a public duty for the community carried out. Now it is a pastoral office, a pastoral duty that is carried out. They are ministers. Their office is tied to the word of God. Now, remember the context here? They are preachers and teachers. The subject matter is the word of God. And so they are ministers, and they are ministers. Their duty is to carry out the dissemination, the distribution, and the explanation of the word of God. Very simply, God's ministers in the church are ministers of the word of God. I watched that, and today we're messing that up in a lot of places. Today we see how the world organizes. We see how companies organize, and we say, you know what? We need one of those in our church. 
It'd be good if we had one of those in our church. Listen, God's ministers in the church are ministers of the word of God. Now that can take different forms, but we need to be very sure a minister in the church is a minister. Their duty is to the word of God. Now let me make this practical. I am the pastor, the preacher of this local church, this church. I am a minister of this church. And my duty, my job, my calling, listen, is to minister the word of God. And you can sit there and say, well, how, how does that look like? What does that mean? What is, how do I minister in the church? I minister in the church by the proclamation of the word of God. I watch folks and they make lists. We want this and we want that and we want an administrator and we want this and we want a counselor and we want all these things. Listen, the minister ministers in the church by ministering, proclaiming the word of God. How do I protect my church? How do I encourage my church? How do I shepherd my church? How do I care for my church? How do I lead my church? How do I love my church? How do I pastor my church? It's in the faithful declaration of the word of God. I'll just tell you, and I'm, I'm pretty adamant about this. The church today, look around the, the landscape, has become shipwrecked today. The church today has become powerless today. The church has become hurt today because its ministers are minister of anything else. In fact, I'll say everything else, but the very word of God. That is the subject matter in the church. Let me show you something else here. And I think they're tied together. And God in his wisdom shows us that this is necessary. First thing we see is how they minister. They minister by the proclamation of the word of God. That's what they're ministers of. But I want you to notice here to whom they minister. To whom they minister. Listen to verse two. I think we might miss this. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, now it gives us the rest of the verse. While they were ministering to the Lord, now, this is a big deal. They, they preach to people, they teach the people, they lead, they shepherd the people, but their duty, remember it's the, the word minister, it is the discharge of a duty. Their duty is only to God. That's what it says. Their duty, now listen, they're, they're preaching in the, in the church, they're teaching in the church, but their duty that they're carrying out and fulfilling is only to God. Be sure the called minister of God, their stewardship is to God. The called minister in the church, their faithfulness is to be to God. And so listen, their audience alone is God. If you start trying to please people, if you start taking your cues from the people, church, if you have a poll taker in the pulpit, it will not work. If your minister comes in and says, you know, what is it that you want to hear? What is, it, what is it that you want me to refrain from saying? Where would you like me to go? What pleases you? If they're taking a poll and not standing in their pulpit faithful to the word of God, it will not 
work. I'm going to tell you the hardest part of my job, the hardest part of my job is that the Bible says, and God actually says, that I will give an account. Do you know the Bible says that? Folks come along and say, I don't like him. I don't like what he's doing. I don't like this. I don't like that. Listen, I will give an answer for my leadership as pastor in the Lord's church. And I want you to be very clear. There won't be a group of us that walk in on that day. There won't be anybody that comes with me for support. There won't be a committee that goes with me. There won't be a committee that gives an answer. There won't be a bunch of deacons that stand beside me. I, the Bible says, will give an account for my leadership, my stewardship to him in the church he placed me in. My service is unto God, and so I will answer to God. The called minister is a minister of the word, and they are a minister serving the Lord. Now, I thought about that yesterday afternoon. Let me tell you the good news of that. Do you know there's good news in that? The good news in that is this. That's how you want it. Do you know what you need to hear is not a message of a man. What you need to hear is not the message of a culture. What you need to hear is not the message of what somebody deems is the message of the hour. What you need to hear is the word of God. And so I want to tell you, that is, that is a good thing. That is good news. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the head of the church. And so Jesus is the audience, that is a good thing. So the third thing, the matter of the church, the minister in the church, and the third thing is this, the master of the church, the master of the church. Now I want you to see something, and it's pretty clear, but we might miss it if we're not careful. Notice in all of these verses, we're gonna see it coming up in some verses further down, but in all of these verses, especially these first two verses, See something. Who is doing the directing there? Wasn't it Paul? Doesn't he show up and he's the chosen vessel of God? Doesn't he say this is how it's going to be? Who is doing the calling there? Who says this is how it's going to be? Who is doing the deciding there in the church? Again, we're going to see it in the coming verses, but I want you to notice here as we read these two verses, it is God. It is God who enables in his church. It is God who decides in his church. It's God who directs who's gonna be set aside there in his church. God is the master of the church. You know why that's important? Because we might have said, you know what? Leave Paul and Barnabas here. I sure like his preaching. I sure like his encouraging. This is the growing church. This is where it's at. This is where God's working. You know what? Leave them here. In fact, we had a committee. We decided, leave them here. Or we might say, you know what? Don't send any of them. We're, we're the church. We're the big place. We've passed Jerusalem. Leave them here. We like it here. This is my preacher. Leave them here. Friends, understand as we read these verses, God is the master of the church. His word is the manner of the church, and his ministers we see serve at his pleasure. Now, let me just bring it together by saying this. What is the reason for all of that? Can't we deviate in a couple areas? What's the reason 
for all of that? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that this is how it is? What is the purpose of all of that? Listen to me very carefully. The purpose is that Jesus would be known. The most important thing on earth is that Jesus would be known. The most crucial, critical thing that could take place is, the, is this passing out, the dissemination of the message of Jesus Christ. The most critical thing is that Jesus would be known. Why does it matter if the church operates according to what God has said? It's because Jesus must be known. Let me tell you this. Today, right now, we have the truth. I think, I think we sometimes forget that. Listen, I, I don't need 10 different books to help me interpret this book. We have the truth. I don't need to go somewhere and get trained for 16 years and have this and have that to say, you know what, I hope we can figure it out and we have to deduce this and we have to critically analyze this to see if this is the truth. God says this is his word and his word is truth. We have the truth. Listen, you have the truth in the word of God. Let me tell you about that truth. That truth tells us that we've sinned. All of us, we're sinners. And we go through life saying, what's wrong with me? I can't figure out this about me. I don't know why I do the things I don't want to do. I don't know why I can't stop these things. I want to tell you the truth is we're sinners. I have sinned. This truth tells us, you know what, there's a punishment for sin. And we're not walking into the dark hoping how it works out. This Bible tells us, this truth tells us there is a punishment for sin. It is separation from a holy God. It is the second death. And we clamor around saying, well, if I could just fix it, if I could just fix it, oh, I regret it, I'd take it back. You know what, we can't fix it. There's no work that we can do, there's no thing we can do, we can't come to church enough that we would tip a scale somehow. There's nothing we can do, we need a savior. That's the truth of this book, we need a savior. Starting Genesis, oh, that we'd have a savior. The truth of this book is this, listen. Galatians says, in the fullness of time, Born of a woman, a virgin. Luke says, born for us in the city of David is a savior. We have our savior. Listen, if you're out scrambling around, looking to make sense of it all, trying to find an answer, we have our answer. The answer is Jesus. That's the truth of this book. The Bible says we're saved by trusting in him. No work of our own, not, we're not able to do it, but by trusting in him and God's grace, if we'll trust in him, his work of salvation, he died for sin, he died for my sin, he carried my shame, he lives yet today. By trusting him, the truth of this book is you can be saved. There's hope today, that's the truth of this book. There's peace today, that's the, that's the truth, the hope of this book. So why does it matter? It's because this. We have our savior, his name is Jesus. The truth of God's word, it matters. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful that you tell us plainly. You're thankful that you tell us the answer is Jesus. The hope is Jesus. You tell us we're going to get distracted if we go searching other places. You tell us, fix our eyes upon Jesus. Lord, I pray for some maybe in this room that do not know you. I pray that today, as they hear the truth of the gospel, that today, sick of running on a treadmill, not getting anywhere, sick of the shame of our sorry sin, that's sick of it, crushed by it, they would turn to Jesus. 
be saved. Lord, I pray that that's the fruit of this hour. But I pray it's not just the fruit of this hour, but it's the result of what walks out of this hour. That we would know the hope of a lost and dying world, a dark world, is Jesus. And in integrity and character, we would stand and we would proclaim that truth, that hope. Use us for that, Lord. Lord, we come and I close out this hour by saying thank you. We praise you. We love you. We exalt you. Thank you for our truth, your truth. The hope of sinners is Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would move as we close this service out. I, I know that you've spoken. I pray that you continue to speak, and I ask that you would move. And I pray the result is that you be known and you be glorified. I trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.